Welcome here this morning. Welcome to everyone in all our campuses today. I'm excited to be with you in the house of the Lord, and I look forward to sharing God's Word with you. God's Word is, is transformational and always produces fruit, and I count it a privilege that we can gather together and study the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the fact that our Lord and Savior is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and for me. And the fact that we can be a part of the church that he said the gates of hell will not prevail against. This is his church and we are his people. So let's pray together as we, as we commit this time to him. Father God, we, we come to you today in the glorious name of Jesus. We submit our thoughts and our ways to you today. And we ask that through your word, you would show us your thoughts and your ways and direct us along the best pathway for our lives. Lord, lead us away from darkness and deception into your truth and into your light. And may we be Christians that reflect your glory and advance your kingdom mission in this world. It is our heart to please you in all that we do. So allow us to be changed by Christ's exalting truth this morning as you, Holy Spirit, work on the inside to soften our hard hearts. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. How good is it to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Church, today is Pentecost Sunday. And today we're going to carry on with our series on the book of Acts. So far we've covered Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 over five Sundays with a few breaks in between. And today we start in chapter 3. We have essentially covered the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit came and filled the 120 and they went out and spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were declaring the wonderful works of God in other languages, which caused amazement and confusion among the devout Jews that traveled to Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. And when Peter got up and he explained what was happening was actually what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, and then he preached Jesus to them, and that they crucified him, many of the listeners were cut to the heart, and that day, 3,000 souls were converted, and the church was born on that day. That's the, significant, the significance, shall I say, of Pentecost. So in essence, we have already discussed Pentecost in, in some detail. But today, as we go into Acts chapter 3, we look at what happens as a result of Pentecost. As the now spiritful church start to go out, and continue the work of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. The same helper that, that Jesus said he would send. So let's read a few verses to get some context. If you have your Bibles with you, go to Acts chapter 3 and we'll read from verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, 
whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Church, this is the first recorded miracle in the book of Acts performed by the early church. And what I want to do today is briefly go a bit deeper into this passage of Scripture that we've just read, but then to focus on a question that many Christians may be sitting with, which is, why aren't we seeing these types of miracles in the church today? Or maybe a better question is this, why aren't we seeing it as often? Because miracles still do happen. So let's begin looking at this miracle in chapter 3, and then we'll, we'll get to the question. What's interesting to note in verse 1 is that Peter and John felt no conflict in going to the Jewish temple to worship. They are believers in Jesus Christ, but they see no spiritual, moral conflict going to worship in the temple. They had no problem with that because they understood that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah who filled the Jewish scriptures. And they probably would have continued in the synagogues and the temple but there came a time where they were expelled from Judaism. And it was really by necessity. Because Jesus said that you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Right? So, they continued with mainstream Judaism at first. Until they were forced to meet on their own. So Peter and John are going up to the temple the ninth hour which in the Jewish reckoning of time would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And on their way there, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask for alms for those who entered the temple. This man that had been laid there was in this state from the day that he was born. It's not like he used to walk in and now he's lame. All he has ever known is the inability to be mobile. So all the joys of childhood were taken away from him. He never had a childhood. He was always a beggar. No muscle strength whatsoever. Now I want to point something out to you, church. Jesus visited the temple when, when he was on the earth, right? And he would have gone through these gates. And it says that they laid this man every single day at the gate. Jesus came, he died, he rose, he ascended by this time. 
So Jesus probably would have passed him on a, a few different occasions. You get where I'm going with this, right? Jesus didn't heal him. Church, it's important to know that Jesus didn't heal everybody. In fact, in, in John chapter 5, when Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda, how many people does he heal? One, right? And yet the scripture says that multitudes of sick people lay there. And you may say, well, well, that's not fair. You know, what about those people? What about their needs? What about their pain? Church, understand that healing is a sovereign work of God. God is sovereign in His work and God is sovereign in His timing. And I'm sure Jesus walked by, he saw the man, but he said, not yet. Today is not the day. In fact, that is going to be done through Peter and John in the future. Verse 3, the lame man who had seen Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. So this guy is not looking for a miracle. He's looking for cash. He's not looking for a healing. He has no faith for a miracle whatsoever. He just wants a few coins. But verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He's now intently focused on Peter and John. Then Peter says this, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Now, church, what we must remember is that Dr. Luke is writing this account. And he's writing it from a physician's perspective. When he sees, says that the feet and the ankle bones receive strength, he's using medical terminology for the joints snapping into place and the tendons and muscles instantly being strengthened. He's emphasizing the, the miracle that is experienced. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I read something this week that in the year 1260, a man by the name of Thomas Aquinas was visiting Pope Innocent IV in the Vatican in Rome. And the Pope went to show Thomas all of the wealth in the papacy in the Vatican. And it was unbelievable how much they had accumulated up until that point and still do accumulate to, to this day. And the Pope said, you, you see, Thomas, unlike the first Pope, referring to Peter, unlike the first Pope, I can no longer say silver and gold I do not have. And Thomas Aquinas said, with respect to eminence, Neither can you say in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So you can boast about your wealth, but where's the power? Peter said, I do not have silver and gold, but I will give you what I have. And it was the exercise of the name of Jesus Christ. And then notice this. This is important. Peter in verse 7 took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Now church, that's faith. Anybody can say, be healed. Anybody can pray, and I recommend that you do, 
But to actually, in a publicly place or public place, take someone who is unable to walk, never has been able to walk, has no muscle strength whatsoever, you take him by the right hand and you pick him up. That's an act of faith. Now, whose faith was it? Who had the faith? It was Peter's, right? Not the lame man. And church, the reason I bring this up is because in certain movements in modern Christianity, they make a big deal out of your faith. If you only had enough faith, you'd be healed. But you're not healed because you don't have the right kind or the right amount of faith. But if you did, if you could muster up that faith and speak the word, if you had the faith, you would be healed. Well, when you hear that, you must ask the person, let me just borrow your faith then. You seem to have the faith for the rest of us. And faith is important, church, but it doesn't always require the faith of the person because this person didn't have any faith. It's like the paralytic in Mark chapter 2 that was let down through the roof in a house in Galilee. They couldn't get to Jesus because the house was full. So a few of his friends took off the tiles of the roof and took the paralytic and lowered him down by a rope. And you know what it says? It says, And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Jesus didn't see the paralytic's faith. He saw the faith of those friends. Is there someone who has faith for a friend or a family one, family member this morning? Verse 8, so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Can you imagine witnessing this? I mean, he's never been able to do this before. Now he's walking around, he's jumping up and down. He's probably saying, listen, my legs work. I can jump and I don't fall over. He was walking and leaping and praising God. Church, he didn't forget to praise God. And this is an important principle for all of us. Don't forget to praise God in the big things and in the small things. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus healed 10 lepers. Right, and he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And only one of the 10 came back to him and thanked him. And Jesus said, didn't I heal 10 of you? Where are the other nine? Sometimes we are all about the gift and not the giver of the gift. We must always be thankful, church. We almost always return thanksgiving and praise, not just walking, the, walking out the gift that we have received, but thanking God for it. In verse 9 and 10, we see the response of the people around. And it says, all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. I think we would be the same. Because that was a real healing. When it happened, it wasn't a question of whether or not this, this man had been healed. They had seen him for years in the same sad, hopeless state. And now he is completely healed and, and full of hope. It was absolutely mind-bending and mind-boggling. And it was all done in the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. 
And church, it's at this point that I want to address the question that I raised earlier. Why don't we see these types of healings in the church today? Or why don't we see it as often? If Jesus said that we would do the works that he did, and even greater works than him, does that mean we should be seeing these types of miracles all the time? And what I'm going to attempt to explain today and next time is what does it mean when Jesus says that we will do the works that he does and even greater? That's the first thing. And secondly, what should our expectation be for miracles and healings today? And I say attempt to explain because I will attempt with my best effort to bring justice to the subject by backing it up with as many scriptures as possible, but I will in no way limit the Lord and put His capabilities into my limited thinking. So we will trust the Lord to reveal even greater revelation of Himself as we run hard and fast after Him. Amen? So I want to read John chapter 14, verses 12 to 14 for you, and then I'll break it down. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Church, these few words, as perplexing as they may be, are rich with powerful inspiration and encouragement if you consider them in that context. And they are powerful for your life individually and powerful for our church now and in the future. These verses in John chapter 14 are about the greater things that are yet to be done. And three things are mentioned in this passage of Scripture. Number one, all of us who believe in Jesus will carry on His work in some great and wonderful way. Number two, we will in some unfathomable way do greater things than the works of Jesus. That's what it says, right? And number three, to make number one and two possible, we will have access to the living Christ and we'll be able to ask Him whatever he, we need. And it says that He'll do it. That's the text. Three amazing promises. So number one, the first part of verse 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And what's important to note here is that it's not just a prom promise simply to the apostles. This is not for charismatics or for missionaries and for evangelists and elders or just highly gifted Christians. This is for you and for me. And by implication from this text, if this doesn't represent you, you're not a believer. That's what it says. Everyone who believes does this. Whoever believes in Jesus will do the works that Jesus did. Period. Now, we create a big problem for ourselves if we jump to a conclusion that when it says the works that Jesus did, we just assume it means miracles. Because let me give you a bit of context. Up to this point in the book of John, 
Jesus had already turned water into wine. He had read the mind of the Samaritan woman. He had healed the royal official's son. He healed the man crippled for 38 years. He had fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He had walked on water. He healed the man born blind, and he had raised Lazarus from the dead after he was already decomposing in the grave. So what did Jesus mean when he said, as most assuredly I say to you, whoever believes in me, the works I do, he will do also. Every Christian will do the works that I do. Does he mean that you will walk on water? That you will raise the dead and you will feed 5,000 people? And if you don't, you're not a believer? Does he mean that? Well, church, if you're willing to look at what the rest of the Bible says, it does tell us that we are not to expect that everybody will have the gift of miracles or the gift of healing. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gift of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. Church, do all possess gifts of healing? Do all work miracles? The answer is no. So in other words, you're not disqualified as a believer if you don't have the gift of healing or the gift of miracles or the gift of faith. The Bible doesn't interpret Jesus to be that way. That you have to walk on water, that you have to raise the dead or heal the sick or you're not a Christian. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And by the implication of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that can't mean that all Christians will do all the miracles that Jesus did. I think it's important that we understand this in principle. But you may be thinking, okay, then what does it mean? Let's look at a couple of points that I think will keep us safe from making it mean what it doesn't mean. And I want you to go a little deep with me right now because we're going to go a little deep into the Scripture. There's a connection between verse 11 and 12 which is key to understanding verses 12 to 14. Verse 11 says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of of the works. So now you've got believe and you've got works, and that's what you've got in verse 12. If you believe me, you will do my works. What Jesus is saying, church, if my word is leaving you in some doubt about who I am, believe on account of the works. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever does that, whoever believes on account of my works will do the works. And when we take these verses into context, what this means and what Jesus is saying is that I'm doing things that point you to the Father. 
I'm doing things that point you to my truth. I'm doing things that get you from doubt to faith. And if you will believe me, that's what your life will be like. Church, every Christian does that without exception. If that's not happening in your life, by implication of verse 12, you're not a believer. If you're not doing things that point people to Jesus, if you're not helping people believe in Jesus, if the works in the life that you're living aren't directing people to Jesus and helping them overcome their doubts, but instead you're pointing them in the other direction, it says you're not a Christian. Because every true Christian points people to faith by the way that they live. If we believe Him, we do the works that He did. And the works that He did in verse 11 helped them overcome their unbelief and pointed them to His truth and brought them to faith. And that's what the Christian life is. The Christian life is that. Christians do that by their life and their works. John chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus says this, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. That's what they do, Jesus says. That's my work. That's my life. That's why I'm here. Everything I do in my life, I do it to testify to the Father. I'm always pointing to the Father. Church, that's the works of Jesus and every Christian. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed, Father, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. In Matthew chapter 5, 16, Jesus' call, Jesus's call to us is to let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give you glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus lived for the glory of His Father in everything He did. We are to live for the glory of Jesus and the Father in everything we do. If we are a Christian, we do what, what Jesus did. That's what Christian means, right? It means you, you're following Christ. We are Christ followers. Christians are defined by works or by life which flows from faith and points to the glory of Jesus. So my conclusion to point number one of this text, we'll cover points two and three next time, is however many Christians God may give the gift of miracles and the gift of healings or words of knowledge or faith, however many gifts He wills to give us, what I do know is that every Christian does his works defined in John chapter 14, verse 12. Every Christian has a life that points to Jesus. And church, there's a lot more to say about this, which we'll continue with next week. But the reason I brought this into our study in the book of Acts is because when we go into a book like the book of Acts, we see all these miracles, we see all these, these signs and wonders, I have the risk... And you have the risk as a Christian to live your life thinking that, you know what, I don't have anything to offer. Because you may not have the gift of healing or the, the gift of miracles. You may not have the gift of tongues or the, the gift of interpretation of tongues. 
You may not have silver and gold, but what you do have can point people to Jesus. It was John Wesley that said, he says, so one apostle wrought miracles merely by his shadow, another by handkerchiefs carried from his body, and all spoke with various tongues. But the converting of one sinner is a greater work than all of these. He was referring to the greater works in John chapter 14. We are really just scratching the surface of what the scripture means for us as Christians when Jesus says that we would do the works that he did and even greater. But in closing today, church, just like Peter in Acts chapter 3, that through him this lame, this lame man was healed and the man jumped up and down and he joined them in the temple, he was, he was completely healed, right? Just like that. I want us all to realize today that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was sent on the day of Pentecost, the same Spirit that was operating inside of Peter, through the power of this same Spirit, we have the ability to point people to Jesus so that they too can be healed, completely healed, healed from their unbelief, healed from their brokenness and shame, healed from their sin, healed and set free from the chains of eternity in hell. And yes, we must pray and ask the Lord to give us the gift of healing or the gift of miracles or words of knowledge, or the gift of prophecy, so that it can profit the whole body. And when the Lord sends revival, that He would give us these gifts in abundance, so that we can point people to Jesus. But realize today, that what you have, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is enough to turn people from death to life. And church, is there a greater work or a greater miracle than that? And my call to you this morning is Christian, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk in that authority. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we ask that you would allow this word to sink deep into our spirit and bring a transformation and an understanding of what it means to be a Christian that fulfills the greater works that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said we would accomplish. Lord, we ask that you would distribute your gifts to us individually for the benefit of all. And that we would be responsible enough to use them in your name and for your glory. Lord, we ask today that you would prepare us as a body for revival. And that we would commit all of ourselves to your work. Especially in the winning of souls to Christ. Father, we commit our lives to you today on this significant day of Pentecost. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us this morning, that you would give us the gifts that would edify the body and bring you the glory you deserve in all the world. 
We want to say that we honor you in this place. And we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.